Hello, and welcome to Noise Creators, episode six. Today, I have an interview with my friend, mentor, smartest person I know, Alan Douches is today's guest. You may have heard a portion of this on my other podcast, Off the Record, but if you skip to the 44-minute mark, that'll be past what was played on Off the Record, if you already did listen to some of it. Alan Douches has probably mastered most of the records you listen to if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, he's one of the most credited engineers in all of music. To introduce you to who Alan's worked with, he's worked with everybody from Fall Out Boy, Ben Folds 5, Dillinger Escape Plan, Brand New, Sufjan Stevens, Thrice, Mastodon, Every Time I Die, Converge, and like, really, like a million others. If you go to his Noise Creators profile and you scroll through the discography, it is the longest one on there, and you will just be astounded at how many records he has his name on. He is truly insightful, and this podcast is a bit different than a lot of the other ones that we do. The other ones we do, it's a much more about getting to know a producer, but Alan no longer produces records as much as Masters, so what I thought would be a lot more interesting is to do a really free-flowing concept kind of driven podcast about some of the thoughts that he sees, because you got to remember what a mastering engineer sees is the end product and a lot of times where records go wrong, where creativity stalls, where just things aren't working out. And Alan sees so much more music. Like a record producer is usually working on a record for like two weeks or a month. Alan's doing four or five records a day sometimes. Um, maybe not full lengths, but like different projects of different things you're going to hear. So he sees so much more and sees what's going on behind this. So I really wanted to get his insight on a lot of this and talk a little bit. So this is a long one, but I think it has lots of really cool topics that'll be interesting to you if you're interested in how your music sausage gets made. Check out what Alan has to say. I think this episode's really rad. You have a teenage daughter. Yeah, that's tough. Who's going into the music business. Yeah, she's actually in the music business. She's, she's, in, she's, the, she's, she's in the entertainment she's, business. She's, yeah. she's, 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 she's in the entertainment yeah. business. She's trying try, try to go to the music business. You've seen every horrible aspect of it. How do you live with yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, I live with myself with it because I've had, you know, now 30 years, you know, since I got out of high school, 30 amazing years, you know, and I still have never had a job in a sense. So, mm -hmm. so how can I possibly try to deter her from having, uh, an amazing life? You know, that's really what it comes down to, you know, and you know, obviously I try. So you say amazing life cause you've had one, but so many people you've seen have not had such an amazing life in music. Yeah. But, but most people aren't trying hard enough. That's true. They're, they think they are, but they're not hanging in. To the, you know, are they, you know, are they splitting out of the studio early? You know, are they putting in, you know, um, the extra, extra moments? I know somebody just recently, I think we know in common, um, you know, did a test mix on a pretty big record and, uh, and they lost it. And let's just say a really big one got it, you know, and now, and when I just spoke to him, I said, well, in hindsight, I said, you know, had you know, did you know you were up against that person? And he said, no. I said, well, would you have mixed differently if you knew you were? And he said, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Because I think I'm, I'm victim of that too, is that when I do a test, I mean, when I do a test mix, I also just do the only thing I know I know how to do, which is I have to make it sound good to me. Right. 
right. and that's the only way I make good music. Right. I think it's the only way anybody makes good music, but there is something that, yeah, you might have stayed for another hour to ABing some other approaches <laughs> if you do that the big guy is going to go. It's, it's, and, you know, and, and it's not even just ABing, but even, you know, beholding to your own sense of perfection mm-hmm. or what your perfection is. Yeah, you but know. also learning when, you know, I'm a per- perfect example. Is like I'm a uh, hour eight's usually pretty bad for me. Hour eight's I hate myself. This sounds kind of good. I hate myself. This kind of is kind of good. Alternating every fifteen minutes. Right, right. Yeah. And but if I stop at hour seven, I'm usually pretty psyched and I haven't nitpicked it to death. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I can go about twelve. You can go twelve hours mixing. Yeah. Well, I don't know about mixing, but you know, working. Okay, working, but you're doing different projects in 12. You don't ever master a record for 12 hours these days. No, and, and you know, it's I've kinda, seen you do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, I see I see some things online with people, you know, whatever, you know, you know, you know somebody, you see they got a video, and, you know, they went in to do mastering at whatever. They went, got to the studio at 6 o'clock at night or something, and then it's like, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and they're coming out, and they're like, yeah, man, we got our record. 14 hours and i'm like 14 hours dude (laughs) like like who can hear you after that amount of time i mean yeah i'm not mastering for 12 hours but i'm i'm on my game doing a variety of things you know Mm -hmm. whatever they may be you know um could be some forensic work could be some denoising work could be just file management could be whatever Mm -hmm. but i'm you know but i'm just thrilled and thankful to still to this day to be you know doing what i love to do yeah. So, what do you have to impart of when you know it's right? Then, um, like anything creatively, how do, how do you? What's your barometer for that? Well, I was fortunate enough that when I got started, you know, the first six months of my career. Well, when I first had my first A-track studio, I remember trying to think, how do you get those sounds, you know, and how, mm. you know, I'd be either recording my own material or somebody else's material, and, you know, and you record it, and while you're doing it, you're thinking you're doing it, and then you mix it down, and, you know, it just doesn't sound like whatever, you know, whatever you were trying to make it sound like at the time. And then when I got my first job at the studio, and I was fortunate enough to work with, you know, with uh, Jack Douglas, mm. and I'm, you know, I'm stuck in the studio with him for six months, your ears start to get trained to know what you're listening to. And then it was, you know, it wasn't just the six months. It was almost two years on and off at different projects. And you're constantly hearing state-of-the-art sound, you know, mm-hmm. Neve console, Studer tape machines, you know, vintage mics, you know, you know, Grammy award-winning producer, you know, you know, Aerosmith, you know, Grandmaster Flash, you know, artists that are are doing something really interesting and you you just kind of get embedded into your head this is what it's supposed to sound like in the control room Mm -hmm. not on vinyl at home Mm -hmm. you know but you're actually hearing in that control room and i think a lot of people are missing that to be ingrained in their head as to that's what the inspiration is well and so i mean i'll put on a piece of i'll put on an old half inch mix like hmm. if I'm, you know, I, you know, you hear stories about people like they'll play a song or something to get inspired or something, but maybe they're playing a CD or something, you know, I'll put on a, a half inch tape of just a, a mix coming off of that Neve console and just listen to that Sonic in analog, not, you know, patching it into a digital, you know, mixer or something, but actually listening to a pure analog source like that. 
and that's inspirational and that resets your bearings yeah yeah don't you think though that there's a thing too that i think one of the law starts and i've been i think about this a lot with musicians lately is that like a musician will turn to you and they'll say um i want this to be heavier or something and then they're like turn up the compression and so many people think that this is a way you get to the means the end and then you learn when you hear a record apart and you do it enough times you actually learn that no this is the way to do it but i think a lot of musicians close themselves off because they think they assume this is how you get to an end product because they've read how do you deal with that in mastering specifically because there's no blacker art and yet people will say like i think i've you know worked with you enough over the years at this time when somebody says that's too compressed you're like ah the compressor's not on right yeah yeah but i think it's also you know you have to be able to read what they're what they're saying Mm -hmm. you know i mean we've all had those stories where somebody says you know it just doesn't have enough balls and you know you go and you add all the bass you want and then the guy's just looking at you like no no balls well you know and then you then you ask him well what are you talking about and and then accidentally you kick on 6db at 2k and he goes yeah there you know it's like well the guy wasn't really describing it right so i think most of that comes from understanding you know normally the musician's not wrong i mean if he's psychotic you got another problem but if he's if he's truly just looking to try to make what he's hearing in his head come through the speakers you've got to be able to decipher his uh descriptions well i think it's also if they're talking about an emotion it's a lot more helpful that they want like yeah. they want more yeah. balls that's an emotion yeah. might be too late for the mastering for that yeah but like saying an emotion i think sometimes that's the problem is that a musician tries to delve into the technical world and you're like well technically Technically, the compressor's not odd, or technically, um, <laughs> you didn't put any bass in your guitar sound, so yeah. me trying to give yeah. you some with EQ is just me turning up air that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, there's there's part of that um, that uh, if, if you start off from a square one and you define the roles that, like, listen, you know, I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, just, you know, let's, if you're talking about something, what is it you're talking about? You know, because you're right, because they often, from a technical standpoint, they're always, they're often they're wrong. They don't really know what what they're talking about. Yeah, they want it, you know, to feel heavier. And so they try compression and they know that, no, that's the wrong thing, guys. You know, yeah, let's, let's back that off. So distorted guitar amp, there's already, it's already compressed to death. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's part of the challenge of it though, too, is like, how do you deal with it? It's like. You know what? Part of the uniqueness of what we do is that every day can be different, you know, and, you know, and you're constantly trying to figure out, okay, is, you know, is this what they want? Is this what they're after? You know, that is one of the infinite variables. I, you know, it's funny, like I actually now when I, um, when I start a record with a band and I accept it and we exchange a deposit, the first thing I do is I send them a preparation sheet. And the first thing it says, I'm your friend. There's never going to be a point I'm going to undermine you. I'm trying to get what you want, but sometimes I'm going to need you to talk to me a certain way so that I can help you get what you want. Yeah. Please send me a list of your four favorite guitar sounds, your four favorite drum sounds, your four favorite... Yeah. So I could just even understand which language bearing we're going to be dealing with yeah. here. Well, I mean, listening to the client is just as important as listening to, you know, the music, to, to the tones, and listening to what they're saying, mm-hmm. trying to get to the bottom of their feeling. I mean, I guess to a certain degree, as you get further in your career and you're working with better artists, 
than the BS that they're trying to throw your way because they don't know what they're talking about. They're not, they don't have, you know, nobody's trying to impress each other anymore. It's kind of like, okay, listen, we want to, we want this to sound great. We have a job to do. How are we going to get there? You know, that, that brings me, you know, one of the bits of advice that you gave me that has always been um, one of those ones that uh, your other famous, famous saying, uh, what are you pretending not to know? Yeah, that's my favorite. Why, why, why do you explain that before I go down this rabbit hole? Um, well, that, you know, it's just that I think we all we all know the answers. Mm-hmm. Or we, we all know the process to get the answer. But we pretend like we don't. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we think that there's a better way. You know, we think that, oh, there must be a plug-in. Or we just keep staring at it and go, maybe I'll yeah. pick that up later, yep. but I'm going to keep letting that sit over in the yeah. quarter. And people just don't, they, they kind of think like, well, I, I surely I don't know what the answer to this is, so i got to try something else, or i got to ask somebody, when in fact mm-hmm. they know the answer. It's in, you know. Yeah. And when you follow that, your own, you know, internal guidance system, often you're right for your long, you know, your long result anyway, you know. I, I like think. that. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, that was the advice I got from uh, Russ Teitelman. He was just saying, you know, he said, just always trust your feelings because if you're going to become successful and you were guessing or copying... Can you tell them uh, who Russ Teitelman was again? Um, he was he was a producer. I guess he did Steve Winwood's Back in the High Life. He got Grammy Award for that. Yeah. Vice president at Warner Brothers for a while, I think, too. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, advice for technical people but i think it's a great advice for an artist as well which is just trust your feelings because mm-hmm. if you're copying another sound if you're copying whatever somebody else is doing um you, you know you can get to become more successful but when once you get to a certain level you're going to need to be the person coming up with your own sounds and if you're copying or guessing you're not going to be able to get there you're not going to be able to stay there yeah. so all if you follow your own instincts and you get there, you'll always know what to do. Just keep following your instincts. It, it, it's funny. It's the thing I always say about, um, you know how you get like the musician who's so obsessed with the copyright on their song? Right. Like, I don't even want to bring it to master yet. Because <laughs> i got to get it copyrighted before you hear it. Because somebody's going to steal my song I half-assed and spent three hours yeah, writing. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so genius. But it's like that, that thing of like, I don't care who steals it. Like people steal things from me all the time and claim it's them. I see my parts of my book rewritten as articles where like, I'm like, if I ran this into a plagiarism comparer, I could embarrass this person. I don't care because I can think of it the next day. I could do something better. I'm going to. Yeah, plagiarism. It's kind of a. It's kind of you feel feel fortunate sometimes when yeah, you it's it's it's. But I think that that's the thing is if you know you have it and you know you come from the right places, you're gonna do it. But uh. The thing I was going to get to is you gave me great advice, which was uh, I kept asking about gear and what I should do and what I should buy. Next thing, you told me just work with better bands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was funny because at the time I, I was working with some decent bands, um, but it was true. It's like, you know, being around great musicians and being around other people. Like, um, I just learned Brian Eno has a great thing. He calls this, he calls it. Uh, Genius, like senior and genius, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. if you're in a scene and you're in a place with other smart people, it's just going to keep elevating you. And that's what he's tried to do all of his life is just surround himself with as many great and talented people. So he keeps learning their best traits. Yeah. 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 Finding better bands, you know, it's kind of like that's because ultimately that's what will advance your career. 
Yeah. It's not having the better microphone or a more expensive microphone or more mic pre's or whatever. Ultimately, what launches your career up the ladder are better bands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, it was, it was funny. It was like that. And, you know, I went out there and I had to go to local shows and sit through terrible bands. And I ended up making some of the best friends of my life who I go to their weddings now yeah, when I d- yeah. from, from doing that. And I made great records with them. But I also had to sit there and say, like, I'm going to eat shit and I'm going to be beholden to you. I'm going to come to a place where I'm going to have to let you boss me around even a little bit. I'm going to have to do whatever the hell you want. I'm not going to really even, I'm going to produce, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to really be able to do it with a heavy hand because I'm coming to you and I'm going to not make much money, but man, it got me so many other bands when I killed it so fast. But that's getting back to that. You really got to, you know, go into this career knowing you're going to put absolutely 100% into it. And, you know, if you're looking to make money first up front, then you're you're not putting the art first, you know. And when you do work with a great band, you find out that, like, wow, yeah, I didn't need that microphone, you know, or something. You know, it's just like, wow, yeah, look at that, you know. Just that rough mix everybody's blown away with. And, you know, I spent 40 hours on that mix... And nobody loves it because the band sucks. It has nothing to do with your mix. Nobody's listening to the mix. They're listening to the song, you know, or the or the performance. So, so you just touched on something I wanted to, to talk to you about. So, like, there's this thing, the myth of, like, the rough mix making the album. That used to happen, I think, a lot more 10 years ago. Now, you're the guy who sees the final mixes of so many of these classic huge records that... Do you ever see the rough mix ever really become the final mix anymore? Because I feel like that's like something that's almost died in this era. I think it, well, no, I, I get it a lot still, but really? I don't get it for the whole album. I get it for like, you know, okay, so, you know, they hired so-and-so to mix the album and it's 12 songs, whatever. And, you know, and so you get the 12 mixes, but then they go, you know what, now that we're hearing this, you know, we have a couple of roughs that we did on these two songs you know, I don't know, maybe we're going to use them for bonus. And, you know, and you do the proper mastering on them, and suddenly, hell, they're better than the other mixes. Huh. You know, yeah. I, I, so I you mean, still see that occasionally? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I, I felt like that, that's, not that's even occasional. Kind of that's not even occasional. That's often. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So now, is though that not, that's probably, I imagine, outside, though, the heavier music genres where production yeah. seems to be it. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's more on the indie rock thing or, you know, alternative stuff, you know. And, you know, and somebody will say, yeah, like, okay, it's noisier or whatever. And there's, yeah. you know, bleed off this or whatever. But it's just, it's just got more vibe. It's just got more feeling. I mean, it's not a, it's not like a, you know, somebody put the mix together in five seconds, but it was a good Sure, rush sure. Yeah. They, the, the, the band was leaving for tour for two weeks. Let's get something nice for yeah. you to listen to. Yeah. Take some notes on. And or the guy that tracked it decided he was going to do some mixes to send to the mixing guy so he knows what the band yeah. was thinking of or something like that, you know. And then the, the you know, the, the mixer, you know, it does a great mix, polishes it up, sounds just mm-hmm. like the other songs or whatever, but it didn't need those, you know, or something. Yeah. You know, when we have poisoned forums that that waste time debating tons of things, like, you know, do you have any ideas of what musicians and younger musicians can do to get some of that knowledge? Wow, yeah. I mean, like, I think that there is something, like, you know, like, one of the things that helped me was, like, having a relationship where you would tell me when I'm doing stupid things with my mixes... Yeah, you know what that I mean. Th- that's true. Like when, I, when I thought I brought my bassiest mix in one time, I was like, "Man, 
he's gonna fucking kill me. This mix is so basic. You're like, this is the thinnest thing you do. What the fuck happened here? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, like, I'm okay. not monitoring right, and I'm not a being to the well, right thing. You know, that is the th- that is it because yeah, you know, somebody will send in a record, a producer, an engineer, band, whomever, and they're you know one of the first things they want to know is like, you know, what what did you do? You know, yeah. when, what can I do better? You know, yeah, what, oh, what piece oh, of gear I've, can I've I get? I've asked it to you a yeah. thousand times. You know, and I, I always try to, you know, gracefully say, well, it's hard to tell on one record, which mm-hmm. is true. Yeah, that's Because true. You, you can't just, because there's too many circumstances that, you know, will get you to that final result. Like I said, yeah, well, you know what? The singer was off mic. You had to compress him that hard mm-hmm. in order to get it to stay consistent, whatever it is. But I guess if you have relationships with people that you respect doesn't even have to be obviously a mastering engineer it could be a, you know mixing engineer it could be a tracking engineer it could be an, a, an older musician something mm-hmm. you know and just be open you know have a mind that's open to everything and close to nothing you know about how to get those sounds you know i mean that's i think that's the best advice and just you know and and try you know try things on your own you know but again I, that reset is just so important I don't know hmm. what people are using for that in their life. We were talking, yeah. you know, earlier when I was just saying hello that like I used to go to live concerts, live mm-hmm. shows and how that was inspirational. You know, and like that that I used it in that the energy of that live show, be it converge yeah. or be it you know, I remember going to live, you know, piano, jazz, you know, um piano co- uh concerts, you know, and and just recognizing the energy that was happening in the room that way and saying, all right, you know, now we're back in the, you know, confines of a mastering room. How do we make that energy happen? And you have to be aware of that, of what that energy felt like, you know, and Albini had this saying, I'm going to probably bungle it a bit, but the sentiment was, if you're not going to see live bands three nights a week, I don't know how you get your bearings or what a good performance is when it's in the studio. Sure. And I think you know, there, I take that with a grain of salt because you know, Albini's capturing natural performances, whereas a lot of us are sitting there augmenting it with editing and punching. And but yeah, well, you know, um, but if you could take that band that needs all the editing and punching, and also train them how to be better performers, you'll probably wind up with a better record. I mean, I don't know if we mm-hmm. have the time or the money to do that. But you know, you again, you're going to probably make a better record. It's, it's hard. Well, it, if you're somebody who's starting out, or if you're a band, I think that that's an interesting thing is to take that from the musicians. So a lot of people who listen to this are musicians, and I think that that's maybe one of the things that they don't focus on is that their producer should be doing a lot of work to train them to play better before they get in the studio. I think that's the one thing bands comment the most on that I've seen. So comment in what way? Explain that they'll be like, you know, hey, oh, you know, like they'll come in from mastering and and I'll say, oh, you guys worked with so and so. Oh yeah, I mean he's a oh he's a slave driver, you know, you know, you know, like what do you mean he's a slave? Oh man, he worked us to the bone, you know. No, in most cases that's true. That's what you that's what's required to get those performances, but it also you know it doesn't have to be torture. Yes, you know if you and you shouldn't torture you ba- if it's a producer. Well, yeah. Don't torture them just for the sake of. T- yeah, but no, like, no. like I think that there, there's one producer I could like think of it. It's like you know this is the guy who's probably like I'm I make my singer sing for five hours every time. I'm like, well, what if the fucking well, first what if the yeah, first thing's yeah. kind of really like there's some people I work with like you know one out of fifty that it's like man they kind of suck after five takes because then they're bored because they're so good. Well, you know I mean 
it all, that also gets into that you as the producer need to be ready to hear that performance mm -hmm. and know if it was right. You know, I think a lot of producer engineers that are, you know, working with a band, a band will do a rundown of take, you know, and you could have, you may be recording it or not, but because you're still tweaking sounds and you're still mm -hmm. working on something, you know, the band will say, oh man, that was awesome. And you'll be like, yeah, I'm still working on the snare drum sound though or something. Mm -hmm. And whereas it's like, well, wait a second, if you were listening to what the band was doing, so sometimes, you know, it's better to listen to what they're playing than to what you're tweaking. Yeah, I mean, in an over-polished world these days, I think that we do see a little less of that since the... I, I, do, do, so here's another thing. I mean, you, you see so much of this come through. I mean, do you really see a lot of records that are still being made with not just saying they played it live and then replaced it all, but, like, we are keeping the live tracks. Like, I know, like, everybody's really... Uh, really happy about how ryan adams did this on his taylor swift cover record that right. it's it's like it's all live performances right. basically right i think emotionally people want to do that and i think going into the studio wanting that is a good thing mm -hmm. uh whether they can perform it or not is up to the producer to determine but i think more and more people are recognizing that that's what they should be striving for i i'm seeing that you know, that, hmm. you know, people are, you know, it's like, okay, we don't need 124 tracks in Pro Tools, you know. They don't need that, but then they're happy when their producers beating them for, uh, beating them for a performance. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know. It seems, it seems a little irreconcilable for yeah, me. Yeah, it does. I mean, but that's also, you know, part of the problem that we're in right now is that, hmm. you know, you don't have to perform and that the producers can manufacture it for them, you know. So, with the trends in music, is auto-tune and, and uh, the loudness war getting better? I, I don't know, man. Um, I think so. I, I yeah, might be it, just that, like, is, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't listen to things that suck anymore. If, I, if something sucks, I just turn it off. I guess, I guess I'm just still amazed that some people, even though you try to educate them, and not even just, like, educate them in the common sense of it, but like, oh no, like, no, you don't realize that record you, you think is really loud is not that loud. Mm. That they just don't want to hear about it. That they still just want it louder, you know. And, I'm, and I can try to explain it and give them examples, and, but they just still want it loud. But it is better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think we've all come down, you know, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say only maybe a dB and a half or two dB. Yeah, but that's a lot. But that's a lot at the levels compared to where everybody wanted them yeah um and autotune i think is e well either people are getting better at hiding autotune and or all of its you know i think it's both um and or yeah they're getting better at performing that task uh and or people are willing to let those mistakes go well you know what i think it's a, a a funny thing that happened is like i remember when i first would work with you when i would break it to the band that i wanted to record to the click track i knew i was about to have potentially a 15 to 90 minute argument right, yeah. with a lot of punk bands. Yeah. And now when I say we're using a click track, they're like, no, like this is, I just told them that their world is round. Like they, <laughs> they know, like what, what, what are you talking about? Grandpa? Like yeah. the world's flat. What yeah. do you think? And I, I think that there is a thing that 
we used to all joke about that musicians were getting lazy and they knew the auto-tune would fix it and you know the whole pro tools joke of that was terrible come on in um i think that people are starting to know that they got to kind of play and i think that even bands like they know that they got to deliver on a stage right to be able to do something and, and like I want to say it's the democratization of music that we're not just getting pushed by labels with big budgets of whatever shitty taste they have that like when they, you know, A&R man just thought the singer was cute that they pushed it out there and they knew the marketing dollars would take them 20% of the way that they needed to right, get there, right. that there's a little less of that and you really have to have some talent to get out there these days. Most of the time, I'm not going to say this absolutely, that we're seeing a better crop of musicians come out now in this flatter more democratized music world yeah and i think i mean with less pressure on um the artist and the producer to make this finely crafted you know uh mechanized pop song i think we are willing to forgive more you know i mean rather than saying oh well it's got to be you know because you know there's label spent all this money it's got to <laughs> be in tune or whatever yeah you know and then they're finding out that they're liking it you know I think there's also a thing, too, that we experienced a period where, like, remember when everybody would just be so mad about, like, the gridded drums, and not to say that there's not, but I think that now it's like, if you're a big band and, like, you come out with that soulless record, it's just like, it's... It's the suicide. Yeah, and that's also your suicide as a producer, is if you're, like, really... You know, people could talk about the overproduction these days, but at least now it's not, like, that thing where it's, like... I very rarely hear a record that gets anywhere near a budget or anywhere near a big band that like doesn't at least have like it definitely has ten to twenty percent more feel than like let's say the days of MySpace core with the, like the Atreyu record where it sounded like they put everything on the yeah. computer grid or like that Saliva record where they actually did do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's also that I think the the musicians feel empowered now. They do understand a lot more in the control room. So they can speak to the producer and say, no, you know, give us another, come on, we can cut this together, we can edit that. Whereas I think there was, a, a matter of fact, you know, I mean, there was a band we were working with recently where, you know, we, it, some of the songs did come from demos and some were from a more highly produced, you know, producer scenario. And yeah, you know, the, the demo ones were done in a studio with, you know, a, a younger engineer and he did. He put everything on the grid because he didn't know how to get that performance out mm -hmm. of the band. Whereas the better producer, you know, yeah, got better sounds and all that kind of stuff, but also knew enough to leave some mistakes, leave some of the liveliness, you know. And now the band was educated because they saw firsthand, like, wow, yeah, you know, we didn't have to do everything on the grid. We didn't have to only use the trigger. We could have blended it in with mm. our snare, you know. Well, and I think also bands do want to feel like they did it themselves a little bit more. Yeah, well, and that that empowers them to take it out live too. Mm -hmm. You know, if if they know that they hit that note, or if they you know that they played it, you know, in one take, you know, whether it's you know beat detected or whatever, they knew that they did perform it live rather than it being piecemealed together. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful feeling. So, with musicians, is there anything you observe where? they're making poor decisions in their production as compared to what the producers are doing that you think you can impart any wisdom on. 
mistakes that they're making. Like on the, their own? the musicians want things that aren't necessarily the best things for themselves that you see, or you see musicians making mistakes in the production of their record, or I mean, obviously, there's simple things like you know. Let's please not try the vinyl effect during the mastering in your intro of your song again, please. It's 2015. That was old in 1994. We were tired of doing it on the fir- on first yeah, wave yeah, emo records. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, you know, I don't. One of the things that just came to mind. I don't know if it's actually, it, if it's actually answering the question, but um, um. I find that bands want to put more material on their records. This, this is really funny. I was just listening to a discussion of this. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, it's a singles thing. And we went through that whole thing. Oh, you only need to do three songs, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think that bands are feeling like they want to say more. You think it's that? So I think what it is, it's those fucking deluxe versions of records have gotten people used to listening to long records again. Okay, well, yeah. And, I, you know, I give the opposite advice in my book, is I'm like, record the minimum amount of songs you can and then devote time and thought and put your budget towards recording good quality versions. Because one great recorded and executed, I mean, not a great recorded, one well-executed song will take you much farther than 17 mediocre early ex- executed Absolutely. songs. yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the cost of distribution is the same, whether they're doing, yes. but, but like when we talked about before that, like I'm getting a lot of people to add in rough mixes, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's rare when people are, you know, let's say, you know, booking a mastering session to do eight songs and, oh, you know, we only got six. We're only putting out six. It's almost always that they're adding more. Hmm. So you have not seen like much as people talk about the the singleification and the EPification of things. Well, you're, you're we see, I think we're seeing a lot more EPs, yeah, and and people are doing the single because they think that's what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but often it's we're getting the single ahead of time, and then we're that you know they're pulling in the EP or the LP, you know, a month later or two months later. Or so, you know, somebody decided that they've got to you know get the single out right away for marketing or promotion purposes or something. But I'm finding more people adding more material than what they thought they were going to be putting on. Hmm. Again, that's, and it's not just a little bit. It's, it's kind of a lot, you know, maybe almost 30%, you know, like it's never less, you know, it's like, you know, like, you know, our office will fill out, you know, a session sheet and it'll have many songs it is and rough running time. And it's always like, oh, wait, it's only seven. I got nine mixes here. What's going on? You know? Hmm. And then you make up an email. You, oh, yeah, we added two more songs to the last Yeah, I guess I thing. see that here, too, yeah. too, with like the band. Uh, I'll, Mike will be producing a record and they call me the right and they'll book the mixing with me. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Five song EP turned to date, huh? Right, and I don't think it's a pricing thing. <laughs> yeah, necessarily. it's not like they're trying to squeeze it. Yeah, underneath I don't the think price. so either. Um, but I'm seeing that a lot. So I, whenever people say it's a singles thing, and they're you know, I mean, there are a lot of people that are doing EPs because I think it's just the immediacy. That's what they're doing. It takes. Oh, well, and to also, do it I, I think it's good for bands to find their sound early on on EPs when they're younger, yeah. and or you're just trying to get a following. It gets you to get it out if you don't have as much time um i think that that's no i mean and i agree one song done really well mm-hmm. from all at levels production performance 
premeditating, writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One will take you a lot further than 17 that are done wrong. Absolutely. But I think that there's people are stretching. They're, they're, they're wanting to do more songs. You know, it, it is, it is interesting. Um, so I've been on this big kick and I've been trying to write this article and it's just never coming out. Well, I'm, I'm curious to your thoughts about it. I think one of the things musicians do that, makes bad decisions for the record is they don't evaluate things on good things. I know you're a big proponent of that. People are listening to music on terrible devices, so they're not oh, getting yeah, the word things. Yeah. You know, the study came out that I read was that, uh, 80% of music estimated for people between uh, like 15 to 24, let's say is listened to on either an Apple laptop or the Apple headphones. Yeah. Um, so, can what can people do practically like i i think like there's a big thing is that like i'm constantly making mix decisions or production decisions based on what somebody can hear through two speakers that are smaller than an inch that right can't reproduce the majority yeah. of what could be heard yeah it it is amazing um you know in that in the video world you know, everybody wants, you know, more high definition, bigger screens, you know. Oh, that's a good, good, good know, point, yeah. Um, more of the high technology, you know. Um, but yet in audio, we, we're always scraping for the littlest, you know. Like, your people will buy, you know, a 55-inch flat panel TV, mm -hmm. you know, but they'll be perfectly fine with the two-inch speakers. That, that are on the that sides, are on yeah. the sides, you know, or something. Um, yeah, that's, that is a problem. I think... Um, you know, you just you just have to say, I'm planning for this to be an amazing record six or nine months from now, and it's going to get played on huge systems. But you still have well, to think, recognize. That I'm it's thinking more about the decisions you make as you go. Is like, should you really be making decisions about even your arrangement when you're losing so much depth to this? Man, like. Yeah, it's no. it's it's like it's really been bu bugging me too. Of like, um, because I I am a firm believer that yeah, obviously mixes should work well on those Apple headphones, and they have to work well on that. But like, there's also a thing to me that like when we're saying I don't think the keyboard's cutting through, like yeah, sure, but you know, <laughs> there's something too that yes, this is the lowest common denominator that we're ever going to deal with the LCD sound system, if we will. Yeah. Um. You know, but there's also this thing of like, there's no room for nuance on that for evaluation, especially if it's a rough mix and you're making decisions about your song on something where your you know your quality hasn't been optimized. I think people are making really poor decisions because of it. Well, I mean, you know, reset. You know, <laughs> where, where, I mean, you know, where do you go, you know, frequency wise to do a reset? You know, um, if you don't have that to fall back upon. Uh, it's it's hard to s help people understand that, you know. Um, I used to have a lot of people. You probably remember that you would just come to the mastering session, wouldn't say anything, just to hear it on the speakers. Yes, you that's know, just, true. Oh my God, your speakers are so. You know. Well, I used to tell people to go to your studio, 
and then just you know whenever you're about to done don't listen to your record just put on one of your put, like, put on something that you really want to hear at a listen nice, to nice way. vinyl yeah well there used to be even times after i stopped working for you that like i'd come by like i just want to hear this on the speakers real yeah. quick yeah i mean you know and so for the listeners you have a what were we gonna say 10 fifteen thousand dollars speakers yeah yeah i mean Some, yeah i mean twenty thousand dollar turntable yeah. that floats on air yeah, yeah 30 <laughs> yeah something but I mean, you know, but again, it gets back to that reset. It's like, what, you know, wh what do you strive for? And when you say, okay, let me hold on a second. I've been working a long time. Let me play some, let me reset. Where do I go? You know, or what do you hold inspirational? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, Amelia's got a turntable. My daughter's got a turntable. You know? Is it a Crossley? No. No. <laughs> no okay. It's, it's an just making sure. turntable. Yeah. It's a pretty decent turntable, of course. But, you know, so you have to give them that, you know, early on, you know. And if they're not experiencing it, I don't, God, I feel sorry for them. I, I mean, I guess, you know, I would get back to that thing. Good, just go hang out with at a studio. Go offer to, you know, to be a gopher there, you know. And, and we were talking about, like, we're, you know, we don't want to let that happen because we don't want to be bothered by those people. Well, then you then if maybe you don't care. I, I, it's hard. I don't know. I mean, you know... You're either going to give 100%, a true 100% to making something happen for your music, or you're not, you know. And and I've seen people that really believe in it, you know, and we know many of them in common, mm -hmm. that just will not settle for anything but their success, you know, and, and they get there. And, and you applaud them when they get there, you know. And then there are people that say they want it, but you see them, you know, but I, th I thought I had to, it was a little bit similar to something we were talking about before we started taping, is that, like, there's this discussion about that, like, Instagram and Facebook are making everybody have these expectations of what you're supposed to be doing with their lives. And, like, so, you know, you see all these people, they're going out and they're doing the things. They're going to Maui, then they're at the fanciest restaurant, and then they're drinking at the nicest place, uh, top of the hotel on top of the city and getting the nicest picture. But what's funny is, is now there's no pictures of like, I think of Ross Robinson who lived in his car while he was trying to make the, his early records so that he could succeed. So he could take as much of the budget as possible to not towards his living expenses to this. Right, right. And like, you know, people living at home or living, doing shitty things to do this. This is not what's put on Instagram anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So the sacrifice isn't, you know, the, the, the thing that gets put on there is when you're riding the yacht, not when the shitty sacrifices you made. And like, you know, I, I think of like the disgusting squalor I lived in and disgusting houses and living with horrible roommates to keep being able to afford better microphones I did for years. Right, right. And no, I was not going to Instagram that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, you know... Um, you know, talent, talent will find their way, I guess, you know, um, you know, if, if, if they're supported and I mm. guess we have to just try to support it. And I, I, you know, we were talking earlier too. I, I mean, I do, when I find a band that I think is awesome, you know, we'll go out of our way to try to support them. In, you, in you, you have always way. been, you have always been great with yeah, that. You know, we'll turn them on to labels. We'll turn them on to A&R people, you know, management, whatever it is, you know, you have you have to believe in them you know and if and or if a band you know shows up with mixes that aren't great or something or that are just you know 
you know, out of whack and you just think the band is great, well, you, you know, you make a call to somebody and you say, listen, man, this band is really great. You know, I think they could really use, you know, your touch. You know, do you have any time coming up? Can you, mm. what can you do? You know, I think we have to, we have to kind of blend together on that, you know, and, and, and help them. I, I've, well, I mean, I don't want to sound prophetic about it, but I mean, I, I think I've, I've tried to do that. No, I, I, I mean, for, for anybody who's listening, I can vouch that. There's so many times you hear a band and you're like, you know what, you need to get with the this producer or you get them to a label, you get them to hear it, you get them on some path where they can make their way to something better. Yeah. Or you tell them that this record isn't working and that oh, yeah. there's yeah, stuff. There's... I mean, you've done that plenty too of saying, I can't master this. Yeah. You guys have better than this in you and yeah. it's just not working. Yeah, yeah. That's hard to do, you know. <laughs> you to turn, I'm going to turn down money that I was guaranteed, so you do something better. Yeah, but you know, it, you know, it's. Uh, f I guess fortunately, it's not a lot of money that you turn yeah. down, um, and it always seems to come back. That's you know? true. But that you know that, er that earns trust. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and the bands are thankful for that, and they'll tell other people. I mean, but that's ethics too, you know, and and it's hard. I mean, you know, when studio when guys are, you know, trying to stay alive, how can they turn down work because you know yeah. of these situations. No, I, I've definitely been there. Anytime I, I, I sadly don't see you enough, but anytime I see you, there's some trend in audio and record making that you can usually go on a great rant about. Uh, what, what, what's what's making you not happy? What's making me not happy? Or uh, something making you happy, even? Too many plugins. Too many plugins. Well, yeah, just, you know. Um, so how do you know? You don't see their sessions. You can hear it. You can just hear it. So how do, what does too many plugins sound like? It's static. There's no dynamic to the harmonics, to the you know, to the to the rhythms, to stuff. It's just it just sits there. I yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like that metal sound it, where it's just like it's it's all the whole there's no accent on the guitar, there's no accent yeah. on the drums, it's just everything is hit at the same volume of the whole entire song. Yeah, and it's not even just compression, it's it, mm. it's it's also EQ harmonically, you know. I mean, I, I will sometimes explain it as like, you know, in digital, um, it's a grid, mm -hmm. you know, um, both harmonically and timing wise. And so whatever knob you're twisting can only wind up on one of those grid lines. It's true. So, you know, and so if you do too much mm -hmm. of processing in the box, then it's, it's going to wind up winding up on that grid more often than not you know in the same grid and you know whereas guys that are you know utilizing a you know a DAW for their recording device and doing plugins and doing automation and whatever but that are bringing a lot of things out to the analog world they're breaking away from that other grid and that same similar you know algorithm that's being used over and over again or something or the t or the noise that are on the plugins the you know the vintage analog plug-in noise or whatever you know it's like it's the same noise over and over and over again yeah yeah it, it doesn't I, it was a, I mean I don't want to go on a long story on this one but somebody couldn't get their mix to play they couldn't bounce it to disc or print it somewhere so they had to bring in their laptop and they were using a, a small interface and um and the interface had a mini jack on it. And so basically we had to master from the mini jack out. Wow. And so, and so you know, you hook it up. And you yeah, go, and you got to make do. You this, is this is it. You know, artist is here, producer's here. He's got his thing. Okay, let's open it up. And, and when I hooked it up, I was just like, whoa, that's noisy. 
And he was just like, I'm just, there's no other aperture. You don't have like, there's no XLR. There's no way. There's no digital out on that interface whatsoever. And it's just like, no, it's it. It's just that mini jack. And I'm like, oh man, this sucks. You know, I'm like, all right, but yeah, got it. Let's, let's, let's do it. You know, mastered the first song. And then he's like, all right, I got to open the up in the next song. And he closes the session and all of a sudden the noise goes away. Oh, that's hilarious. And I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And he was just like, I don't know, what do you mean? I'm like, the noise, it went away. Because when he, for, when I first plugged it in, because the waves had analog, the because the analog button was on on all yeah, the waves. Yeah, on things. all the things. And we measured the signal to noise ratio coming out of his interface after that, 27 dB. <laughs> I swear to you on my mother's oh, grave, no, no, 27 I, I 100% believe I measured the noise level and then I measured his peak coming at 27 dB. You and now, okay, and the, even the worst part of the story <laughs> is you know what? They tracked this record and mixed it. Now, it was mixed in his laptop. The studio, you know which studio it is, had a focus right console, had one of the finest analog consoles ever made on this planet wow and then they take it to a laptop that can't bounce down too many plugins oh wow that is that's that's a really good one as you know and and now that's an extreme story but it's not that extreme and that happens often you know so so that takes me to like the thing of like i you know i I almost feel like that analog button is like the sucker button that you just like you just hit it. Oh, it must be better. You yeah, don't do the research. Yeah, yeah. That is really is just adding hiss to you. And I kind of like that the most ubiquitous plug-in company has a sucker button because it <laughs> unevens the playing field for those who don't do research but or read manuals as a right. dire a manual reader. Um, but uh, I guess like... But like the, when when you know if you're listening to your mix and you've got that much noise coming out yeah, of you your, I mean, but that you know that goes back to okay, so you know where did you learn good sound from? Mm-hmm. Now you know you know like I said, going back to my early on you know days, you know the first the mix down deck in a professional studio that I was using was a you know a Studer A80 half inch machine, you know I mean so arguably the finest mm-hmm. two track recorder ever. You know, one of them. It was I was yeah. an eighty Mark three, I think. Um, you know, it, you know. So you're you're learning from that point forward. So you you know, but how are people learning? And this particular engineer, how could he not have known? How could he possibly not have known that that wasn't appropriate? Well, that worries me. That just and and you know, and then you're sitting there in the session, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, the things are just flying through your head. Like, okay, now. Well, like, what am I going to say? You know, what do I say to this guy? What do I say to the artist? What do I, you know? Yeah, how do you not embarrass that? Yeah, person right, in front right. Of because you, you know, the the producer brought the session in. You know, I mean, and as it turns out, you know, the record was a flop. You know, I mean, it hmm. didn't do anything. You know, so. Um, so too many plugins, but. In the analog world, and so like you know, particularly like I think about. You know, we see all these guys, the Chris Lord Dodgers, and they have so much out there. Like, how are you to compete if you're not using things to make it sound good? No, I, I think, you know, just because, you know, you may walk into somebody's analog control room and they've got 
40 compressors doesn't mean they're using all 40. Sure, but you know, it's also famous that these guys do, and there's the reason they need that console with 96 faders and you know, hey, listen, and, you know what? Results are reasons. You know what? We can name those guys with those analog consoles and 40 compressors, and you know what? Their mixes kick butt. Sure. You know what? You work on these mixes with all these guys in the box, and they've got too many plugins on. You know what? It don't sound awesome. But there are guys. So, with... so, 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 but like there, there's this happy medium, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Is there anything you can impart on how they can know when they're exceeding that happy medium? Well, you know, it gets back to, you know, wh where's your reset? Mm -hmm. What are you using as your reset? You know, if you're using, you know, uh, an absolutely smashed, you know, hardcore record from 2005 as your reset, that's not going to work, you know. Because, again, you're listening to maybe a mastered CD that was, you know, manufactured and distributed for a time when that was working. You know, whereas you weren't aware. And people say would say, I've gotten that, God, I mean, probably uh, hundreds of times people say, you know, hey, can, you know, you know, I love the record, whatever, you know, and, you know, would you mind if, could I hear the unmastered version? You know, as if to say mm. that if they heard the unmastered version, then they would know what they're supposed to turn in for mastering. Well, yeah, makes a lot I can understand. I can understand. I mean, well, I will, uh, you know, I tell people when they're kind to me about my um, mixes and say nice things is that I was very lucky that because I started off working for you in my early mixing days, I hear what they sound like. My favorite records of the moment, I'd be able to just go, well, here's what it sounded right. like before. Right. But that's just, but so there. Where's that training ground? You know, where, where well, do you learn? Where I, but I think is? that there's also an argument that, you know, it's also very easy today for people to put up a master fader, hear it with some brick wall limiting. And it's, you know, if it sounds good with 2 dB of brick wall limiting and your mixing is good and you're comparing it to other things, it's only going to get better when it gets to you if they turn off that fucking brick wall limiter Absolutely. and hand, yeah. hand it in. Well, don't if use you, the brick wall limiter as the catch-all, as the stereo compressor. Don't, yeah. don't use the plugins because you're lazy and you don't want to move the fader. Mm. Don't use the plug-in because, you know, I mean, sure, everybody gets into a situation where, like, oh, yeah, you know, the vocalist was too far away from the mic. I've got to use this. I've got to do that or whatever. You know, uh, this you know, this was the last song the guy tracked. The head mm. on the snare drum was fried. You know, mm. yeah, it needs all that. Sure, we can all think of those examples. But, again, it gets back to that, you know, well, then where? why didn't you have another head when you when you tracked that snare drum, when you were cutting your basic tracks. You know, we just cut basics this weekend. Yep. I had three I had three spare snare drum heads. We had four snare drums to track 10 songs, and I had, and they all had new heads on them, and I had three brand new heads in case any of them were fried. I just get a, I, I get a shipment here every month. Yeah, you just, know. It just comes every but, month because I, I know I'm going to need them. But that's a learning curve that, you know, they're, obviously they're not teaching online. And they're not teaching in these schools, you know. And yeah, you know, I mean, I think that is on YouTube. That is in the forums, but um, I guess that so there is, there is that thing. Like obviously, you went through an extreme mentorship and things like that. What can yeah? So to get to a lighter thing, you are very passionate about five dot one surround sound mixing. Explain to people. 
why you miss a guy who loves old school values of Neve consoles, analog tape machines, loves doing it. You know, we were talking before how you're cutting a record very old school style. 5.1 to a lot of people who will do all drum triggers, amp sibs, and everything. Seems a little too technological. I'm curious what it brings um, to you that's exciting to you. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like hearing a remix in a sense, you know, you know, you know, the song, you know, the album, you know, the artist, um, and you want to get a refresh on it. You want to say, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about, um, shape of punk to come and how great that 5.1 mix is. And no matter how much you can possibly like that album or not like the album, whatever, you know, hearing that surround mix makes you go, wow, you know. Yeah, it really I is. I totally forgot how much I love that record. You know, I don't think 5. Dot, you know, people aren't going to be, I don't want people walking around with 5.1 helmets on, you know, <laughs> on the. On is that the even. Is a, can you do that with your Oculus Rift? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's more kind of like. Um, I, I notice that when my daughter's listening to music. You know, she'll, yeah, she'll listen on her iPod. She'll, you know, uh, listen in earbuds, whatever. But when she has friends over, she'll play vinyl. You know, mm. and I think 5.1 is almost a little bit of a similar thing where, you know, it's not necessarily that you're going to listen to It's kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, come on. It's a social over. thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a social thing. It's not. I, I have that with my vinyl. It's like, you know, my friends. Oh, you know what I do with two is DVDs. It's like I, I'll have my friends come over. I have my Genelex at home. Right. And I'll let say, you know, like, let's watch that LCD sound system con- last concert movie. Or let's watch, I have this great Clash DVD. And right. let's watch that and you'll hear your favorite band through better speakers than you've ever right. listened to music on. Right. Yeah, and I, I think I think that the, the 5.1 mix should be different. It's not, a, mm-hmm. you know, um, it shouldn't be, you know, the same thing just with more reverb. It should be a different presentation. You know, kind of like the remix. It's kind of like if it were the same thing with just, you know, you know, reverb in the back or something, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, it's a live DVD, in which case maybe you're trying to, you know, so, showcase what what it actually feels like to be at the concert. So you've done a bunch of these. You've done Mastodon, Converge. Yeah. Converge, uh, um, Between the Barry and Me. I mean, you know. That's right. Yeah. Um, that was so what do you do with the the rest of it? Um, I think first first off, it's just don't you know you 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 approach it as a remix. Uh, I think in most of those cases, um, I didn't listen to the album beforehand. You know, ah, that's interesting. Yeah, especially with the between the Barry and me, I guess you know, it was like. So, but did you master the between the Barry and me? Yeah, yeah. So, but you had heard it, but you didn't listen to it. Yeah, like, you know, you know, and obviously. I think a lot of people, even if they're experienced producers listening to this, don't get this about you and I, is that we work on so much music that basically if you just master it, give it 20 days, you won't know a note of it when you hear it anywhere else. Yeah, it's not like, you know, like if if you're trying to study, you know, the mix and what the band was, was going for, um, you know, I think it's a, it's different. You want to bring a different view to it, you know. Um, and I think that happened with the Mastodon record, you know, that the... That it wasn't trying to be the stereo mix, but better. Mm-hmm. It was a different mix. It was just you know, sh- if you know the record or you you know you 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 love the the record, and then you say, I want to listen to something fresh. I want to hear it in a new way. 
I mean, that sounds kind of corny, and it's, I mean, I'm not necessarily, I don't know that that will support the format unto itself, but it's, if it's affordable, and that's what we've always tried to bring, you know, to the labels is like, listen, this is, we're not like saying this is going to cost another $30,000 or something. It's like, if you can do it really affordable, I mean, really affordable, then it's worth it for them. Because, you know, then it's like, okay, it's another marketing routine, uh, place as well. You know. it's, it, it's true. And, you know, a nice experience for fans, which I think is always like the thing I always get back to, obviously, is that anytime you can give your fans a chance to experience something unique with your music, take that chance. Yeah. T well, take I that mean, opportunity. With Converge, I mean, um, you know, I had been pitching our live remote rig to them for years, you know, and they were just... They'd be like, ah, yeah, 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 you're great, Alan. We'll we'll take you up on that someday. You know? <laughs> and then they finally did, you know. And I think that you know, after seeing them, whatever, half a dozen times myself, you know, mm -hmm. just knowing, my God, this is, you know, there's how do you capture this on a stereo album? And they do it really. Kirk does it amazingly well, yeah, yeah. you know. But this is now to hear them uh, in a live show with a you know great cameras, you know, great edit, and to to hear it and surround it's like wow you know it's pretty close if you've never seen them you know this is about the, the closest you're gonna get uh, at least uh also having a really good documentation of what yeah. they oh, what yeah. they've yeah. Yeah. been doing at this time well you know but that that gets into two it's like well you know should every band have a 5.1 no no way i mean not everybody's worth it is should every band have a record <laughs> Well, I yeah, mean, I see a lot of things to say. At least document your songs at some point, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for some bands, it's 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 right, and uh, in the cases of those three bands, I think it was it was really right, and they all sound really cool, you know. Right. So, when somebody is working with you, how do they get the best results? Um. Yeah. You know. I mean. I think. Think. If you're working with a professional, you I think the best thing to do is not tell them right at the top what you're what you want. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, that doesn't mean just let the professional do their thing and don't add your viewpoints or what you're looking for, but allow them the space to do what they do and try some things. Um, you know, and I think that that holds true of from a mixing engineer, you know, from a from a, from a producer, you know, give them give them the give them the room. Let's try it. Okay, let's try this idea. You know, and I, from the mastering standpoint, it is that way. You know, I'm really, you know, a, a really new perspective on the mix. Well, yeah. So this was what I was begging you to say. Is you you left me with a saying that I probably has turned into what the th sayings I say the most is, you're an objective perspective. And Dave Starty has a great way of saying this. It was like, I'm the first person hearing this. Do not corrupt my view yeah. of what I, I'm going to say by poisoning it with a lot of thoughts. Let me walk into the spine just as everybody who's never heard your band is going to. And let me tell you what I've now seen. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I normally after I'll do that with the first song or two and discuss with people what I'm hearing. Like, I'll always view my opinion first. I'll say, well, listen, I think this, I think this. It's kind of got this or whatever. And then it's let's talk about it. Because if, if, if they're in agreement with what I'm saying, then it's like, okay, great, we're on the right track. If they're like, really? You know, then it's like, all right, well, wait a second, then something's wrong here. Either the way I'm listening for this is wrong, or what you thought you had is wrong, 
you know and it's like how many times people say you know like yeah no 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 there's too much bass on this you know not realizing that maybe the mix engineer had a multi-band on and he was you know and his speakers were inaccurate in the low end so he's mm. constantly pushing the low end or something where in fact when he pulled the multi-band off and now the mixes are fine so how are they listening to it you know give any professional you know room to do what they do that's what you're paying them for you know you don't and don't just roll over with it i mean you know people you know will will you know say wow yeah, that's cool but you know this, this other record you did you know we, we really love the way that is and you go oh all right well that was you know we were overdriving this we did this okay mm -hmm. let's try that you know but i think you do some of the point you're making is i think this actually gets to the first thing we were talking about is like the way most creatives work best is if they follow their intuition first and then get amended and inspired off of what you say after that first intuition. Yeah. I mean, and we spend, you know, during, you know, uh, attended sessions, we'll spend a lot of time, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, just talking about mm -hmm. what the, what records they love, you know, what sounds they like, and even playing some things, you know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, a big part of the session is getting that, you know, idealistic sound in our head and saying, okay, yeah, now that's what we're going for. And maybe even playing some things, you know, and that's especially true with people when they haven't really heard it in a finer system, like you're saying, you know, and that they think they know what they're hearing on their laptops or their earbuds, but actually hearing it, you know, on a full range system, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. We do need bottom end. Okay, cool. You know, but that also, you also have to be able to instill confidence in them, in what they're hearing. That's a big. Mm, that's yeah. a, That's a big dilemma. You Getting know? them used to was the, the best sounding speakers that they've probably ever heard before. Yeah, and it's always not just about the best because they're also a tool. You know, yeah. they're they're not necessarily supposed to be flattering. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be a microscope into what we're doing, mm -hmm. and you know, in the right room, they're they are a microscope, but they're also pleasing so that and non-fatiguing so that you can work on them for you know a decent amount of time yes and still be able to do your job accurately uh what's some music that's really inspiring you these days yeah i knew that was going to come up yep, yep yeah that's all that always comes up yeah um yeah it's it's hard because um i i guess because I try to find inspiration, I mean, you know, in everything I do. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting down and working on something, I'm not looking for what's wrong. I'm looking for what's right. And, you know, mm -hmm. we've all had that situation where you're in the control room or working on something. And, you know, you leave the control room and you're humming the song or you're doing something. And then, you, you know, you, you, you catch yourself and you go, wow, you know, I didn't realize that's... I like that song, but you know, because you're yeah. convincing yourself into liking it, um, I I think that's just kind of why I love what I do. I don't think there's any one. I can't. It's hard for me to to name examples. I really. A, but you just made an amazing point that I, I I've never heard. I said that was that. I think that that's one of the best traits of somebody who's good at this is you stay inspired by finding something to like about this. And it's actually like one of these things, I actually say this about Evitz all the time, is one of the things I admire about him the most is he can make a record that I know no one else is going to want to listen to. And he doesn't do that very often, but when he's doing a project and it's just like, 
It's a quick little thing. He convinces himself that this is the project that's going to, you know, Sergeant Pepper is going to be an irrelevant record <laughs> when he is done. And it's one of his best qualities. And I don't have that for everything, but I do have that quality to an extent. And you mentioning that. I'm like, yeah, that actually is where a lot of the inspiration comes from because I don't have a lot of time to listen to new records as much these days. I mean, I do, but I don't. Yeah. And but you're right. Like, I, you know, when people are like, "Oh, I suck working on all this crap," I like, yeah, there's 10% crap, but 90% of it, I find something I really like about it, and I get with it. And you know what? It's in my head. I enjoy it, and it's not torture. Yeah, and and you know, you've got to find humility. You know, mm-hmm. in it too, because it's not your music; it's it's their music, and you you're kind of. I feel honored that people are asking me to be involved very often. You know, I, I'll get those emails where people are like, "I don't know, man. Would you would you be interested in working this?" I'm like, "Hell yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's you yeah. know, let's do it. You know, yeah. what do you got? I mean, yeah, okay, I can't do it tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, you know, but like, okay, yeah, you know, let's get in touch with the office. Let's figure out a time to make this happen." The other thing is that, I mean, something maybe a lot of people don't know. I mean, obviously, I was a musician early on, but, you know, when I was when I was 17 years old, I recorded my own first record, and um, and I and Bob Speeden, um, who was the original inventor of Royer microphones, um, he actually mastered my record, hmm. and I got the test acetate and brought it home and listened to it, and it was horrible. <laughs> now i don't know what part of it was really most horrible but but my expectation was completely you know shot out the window and deflated so and i've always remembered that like oh, how how like how and there was in one of the first sessions that i recorded um you know we went to an expensive studio i was producing this particular project and um the band was putting a lot of money in it and after the basic track session this other engineer pretty world-famous engineer was engineering it, but he didn't care about the session. And we went running home to the guitar player's uh, home afterwards and his brother's birthday party. We popped the cassette into the cassette deck and hit play. And we were like, listen to what we're recording. And it sounded awful. <laughs> yeah. And everybody just kind of looked at us like, you're wasting your money, you know. And I think there were early enough, you know, there were those kind of episodes early enough that made me realize that you got to be on your game and you've got to give 100%. You know, and, and that's it. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'll, you know, you go back, you you know, you're mastering an album and you're, you know, and as you're going along, you're aping it with some of the other songs in the album and stuff. And you keep going back and you go, no, that third song needs another pass, you know, and, you know, and, you know, rather than just reset, you know, you start from scratch, you know, or something, you know, or somebody will say, Alan, you know, everything's great, but that third song, you know, I just think it's a little too bright. You know, maybe can you warm that one up a little? And you go back to it and you go, you know what, the fourth song, and the sixth song, maybe it's a little too, maybe let's, you know, if you're not willing to go that length, I don't know how you're going to make it, you know. So it's great. Point. And you, you know, know it's like the more I'm thinking about this, it's like you see so many people who get burnt out on this after three to five years. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that's. I will say this, so you, you know, I, I I will be saying it in the intro, so the audience will be hearing this for a second. But you're you're one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. I've been lucky to be around a lot of smart people. You could have gotten up. I'm in fact, when I worked for you, you'd sometimes be like, ah, "I'm just gonna flip houses and refurbish." I love doing this shit. Like, and you'd be sitting around for a day, and you'd be working on some wood, and you'd be like, "Fucking yeah, this is great!" And you'd have a big smile on your face, and I'd think about how you and I would be then pulling a twenty-hour day five days in a row and you know we wouldn't always be the happiest but finding that inspiration that humility 
is why you're one of the most credited people in music history and yeah why you're still here but yeah you know i mean i just i i I love what i do i Mm -hmm. really do you know i mean and and that's what created the career is that love for it and and also though but understanding early on you know um working with some tremendous mentors Mm -hmm. that allowed me to see how much work it actually took to make something sound awesome and and then learning that you know what you've got to have that discipline and and yeah it's like you know you can you can attend a mastering session and kind of think wow that's pretty simple you yeah. know but you forget <laughs> yeah. you forget how much time you know a mastering engineer has spent in his control room to learn the nuances and the, you know you know people will see me move a, a, a knob you know a quarter of a they go you can hear that and it's like no man i just, I, I sense it i feel it you know it's yeah. not about measurements that's to my opinion why so many like you know, automatic mastering devices just don't work because it's not about, it's not about measuring how much it's, where's the feel, you know, is that too much bass or is that where the groove is supposed to be? You know, um, Uh, mentoring is a hard problem these days. It it really is. I mean, we touch upon it a couple times here, but finding a place for, you know, um, for kids, technicians and musicians to learn. You know. So I, I have an alternate argument. I think that just the problem we have is that the internet's easiest ways of this, and this is yet again another thing of the hard road versus the easy road. What I love about, like, say, Twitter or Forensics, you can now find access to the greatest minds. Like, one of the things I love about Twitter, like, so, for example, you and I, we both, like, love some futurism stuff. So I love that there's a Ray Kurzweil Twitter feed of every fucking thing that's, like, going on with, like, singularity university and AI. you could find all this information so like then there's a perfect example of like what like joey sturgis and eal do is like that this is like you don't have to be around them you can pick their brains you can get a lot of stuff and it's not exactly the same as being in the studio because you don't get to be around that equipment but you get yeah, to but, be but very it, clo- close yeah, with cool. a lot of different things. but and i think what i would argue is is now it's so easy to pick a vast amount of p- people's brains on the internet and see what they're thinking out loud that there's the potential to do it. I think just the problem is right now is that instead we have gear sluts, which yeah. is just a toxic environment of people who are out of work being negative. Yeah. A lot of, the, not all of the time, but too high a proportion for it to be a, a positive thing on the world at large. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not trying to suggest that no one should access information online yeah it's it's more about like you know the russ Teitelman thing where it's it's just like trust your feelings i think that the internet you know rather than people learning to trust their feelings about coming up with something new and creative because that's the thing you know we've all sat with enough industry professionals to know that if you're going to become successful you really need a distinctive sound and you don't get that by copying somebody's routines no you know you, you really get that by refining your own scenario um and i think that happens from a technical standpoint mixers especially you know that they get a touch by experimenting on their own with their own Mm -hmm. with their own sounds their own processes i mean there's some guys that are doing tremendous work that you know have never had a mentor but i think sure you know i think it just makes it easier but that that's so impressive and you know it was funny uh with joey we were discussing this is like um like, I can remember right about the time I stopped working all the time for you. It's like I made this rule for myself that's like, 
15 minutes before work every day, I'm going to try something I've never tried before and right. makes me uncomfortable. Fine. I mean, you remember the thing. You, you actually gave me a great thing, too, that I can part of people is that, like, uh, I don't think you said you'd respect, but you, you put it some way that, like, when I can tell you something that you incorporate into your daily life every every day, like, and I find something in Pro Tools, I remember, like, the day yeah. I found that function, I was reading that Pro Tools manual, looking under every label until finally, like, you were like, oh, what's this? I'm like, oh, you just do this. And I was like, fuck yeah, finally did it. <laughs> but, like, th there is that thing of, like, you gotta devote time every day, not just to come in and make money. You gotta devote time to, like, one, do something that makes you uncomfortable. Two, discover something you don't know. And, like, you know, much of it's the 80-20 learning rule of, like, just spend some of your time doing what you don't know rather than what you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's, you know, it's great to try new things. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go a little bit back to that reset thing. You know, but, you know, when you're hearing it, can you evaluate, is it good, rather than just being different? You know, and like procedures. It's like I still use a lot of old school, you know, procedures in getting to tools or whatever it is in the in the DOS or whatever. You know, and it's just like, and I and I choose not to learn the other shortcuts because I'm not even thinking about it. That's it's, true. It's I just have the same so thing. second nature. I'm not even thinking like which tool. It's just an automatic, oh, I'm doing this. Um, went, whereas I could probably save some time, but it's, you know, I guess in the, in the big picture, it's not a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got, you got to dedicate time to trying new things. Uh, I was mixing the Grandmaster Flash album in, in the, in the, uh, mid eighties and, and, uh, the producer said, you know, well, what piece of, you know, let's run it some gear. And I'm like, this is a, it's a rap record. What do we need to, it's like, is, is there a piece of gear you ever wanted to rent? And, you know, and yeah, we rented, you know, uh, a particular device that was, you know, $200 a day to rent for the course of the mix over 10 days, you know, mm -hmm. so it cost $2,000 to rent this piece of gear mm -hmm. that cost eight or $9,000 that we didn't even use on the mix. <laughs> but the producer was, you know, was, had enough insight to say, well, you know, this is the way we have to advance the art form. Got to try new stuff. You know, I mean, granted, the budgets afforded that, but that was back then. You could still yeah. do the same thing now by putting up a different microphone, or you know? or searching out some new plugin thing, yeah. and like yeah. Yeah, there is new things being yeah. done. Like contrary to what's the belief, you know, I, I I'm really inspired by Drumatom right now. Yeah, um, there's just there's new things that you can push. There's new levers that very few people know that can be turned in some of these. Well, things. that's you know that's something I've been saying for a long time now. So there's all of these new tools, all these new ways. Are we really winding up with new music? EDM. Okay, yeah. So that so this is always my argument. Like, is that no in rock we're not? But yeah. It's also the thing is like EDM is where most of the change is happening. Is yeah. it's where most of the progressive people go these days. Right. And I don't think that's an absolute truth. But there's just so many more possibilities that. That's where you logically end up. Is that? That's where. Well, it's that's that's my gripe with the the plugin thing. Is that are you using the plugin because it's easier than re-recording it? I mean, you know, um, you know, would it be better to say, well, it's going to take more time. Let me let me take that sound out of the DAW, reamp it through a real amp, mic up the room, you know, and spend that time making that happen. Or is it just easier to put the plug-in on knowing that I can change it at any point, you know? 
Mm. You know, I don't know the answer, but I know that personally, myself, that when I, I mean, I'm not doing this often, but miking it back up, getting the sound, and committing, committing is, oh, committing, committing. Can we talk for an hour about this, please? Committing. with you. You know, I I mean. When I see... You know, these days of ever of everybody and even people I respect are talking about the reamping. I'm like, the only reamping I do is sending a vocal through a distortion box right. to print down a distortion because I don't like it in the computer. Right. Like that's, right. I, 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 there is no. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you commit to something and you say that's it, that's the sound, and you move forward. You, you know, your brain doesn't have to think about that anymore. But when you've got all the possibilities open while you're in the middle of production, you can keep changing that sound, keep changing this, keep altering that. I don't know that you focus on the right next part. I mean, people talk about this a lot. You know, talk about this, but here, here's another thing I'm very insistent on too is that what people don't realize the other thing about like yes, the headspace is very important. Headspace is one of the most underestimated things people talk about is your option paralysis um but what's even more important is that committing to that and then the decision you make afterwards so like the guitar tone i choose is directly proportional to what how bright those symbols are everything else and then when you go in and you change that again yeah you might be able to rethink it better but there's so many other decisions that were made along that way that like adding that variable back in i don't think i don't find it to be worthwhile yeah no i agree i don't i mean i i will be honest i don't think for any record I've produced, I've never recorded a DI track in my entire life with the intent to reamp because I just get the tone as it goes. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and from a mastering standpoint, I mean, um, you know, everything gets written down from a recall standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and people always ask me, you know, well, how, you know, how accurate is your recall? You know, and I'm like, well, we don't have to be, you know, in the old days, you used to have to cut, you know, half a dozen lacquers to go you know for different stampers because you were pressing a whole bunch of records you know these days if if you didn't like the mastering then why did you know, who cares oh, if you, I wrote you, down you, you, want, you want me to tell you to <laughs> tell people how accurate your recall is have you ever listened to one of the like everybody who's listening to this owns hundreds of records you've done and have you ever sat there and gone you know i think alan when he did v2.0 when the mix happened he just didn't recall 3.6 quite well enough on that master on the fourth song no one's ever fucking said it i mean it's you know the, you know you have to have accurate abilities to recall because there are a lot more mix revisions now and that's that you know oh again, yeah we could talk about this for an hour you know like you know how months later you know you get mix revisions you know it's just like well we changed the mixes can you remaster it according to this so yeah so, you so do, is that getting better or worse well it's worse oh man that gets worse uh, every year. Oh, 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 oh! Wow, that's really funny. Oh, I didn't know. Man, yeah. Because I just crazy. never do. I never do it. This week is the oh. honest to God. This week is like the first week I've I had don't... to do this with you in forever. Yeah, I mean, um, oh, you know, it. I mean, it doesn't happen. I think for the major producers that I work with because their time just doesn't allow it. Yeah. You know, I mean. And and I think the bands are also trusting them. And then on top of it, it's results or reasons. These produce, producers are nailing it. So it's mm-hmm. like, no, everything's right where it's supposed to be. you know. And and they'll give me instrumentals and acapellas. 
And if for whatever reason somebody says, "Yeah, but I, you know, I want the vocals," okay, well, we've got the instrumental. And the, we'll 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 assemble this in the in the stems, and we'll make this better. But you know, because so many people don't know what they're doing, they're going back after mastering and saying, "Oh, wow, okay, I see what I should have done," or whatever. Oh yeah, that's 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 a plague. It's 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 terrible. <laughs> it is. It's unbelievable. Okay. That's killing me. More because I can't have anybody else recall. I mean, you know, everybody thinks that there's somebody that you know hangs out at the studio all night and does Re all the recalls. recalls. No, yeah. I do all. Well, my and own also, recalls. you're on analog gear. Where I'm it's on for, analog gear for yeah. somebody like me when I'm mastering, it's like recalling. Like I just say it. If oh, they're like, no, recall. If they're if they're if they're like, hey, you know, I forgot to mute. I forgot I muted the tom track. And there's no tom. Tom's in this whole well, part. I'm just like, cool. Send it to me again. Tube My devices. You know, you know, the tubes don't sound the same. Yeah. If the humidity's different in the room. You yeah, know, it's like true. everything. You know, how long has it been on? We leave the tubes on all day, all night. Yeah. You know, they stay on all the time. But you know, uh, we just change the tubes or something. You know, you know, we change. Well, especially the after tubes. a month too. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean. And that people just being able to commit and accurately hear their monitors, and then resetting. Did I get to resetting yet? I mean, you know. <laughs> okay, um, more positive note to leave people on. Michaels, damn. What should people send you that would make you happy? What 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 mixes do you want to see come to you ideally? Um, a, a dynamic, and not just not uh, not in characteristic. Do you want the instrumental in acapella? Do you want? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you do you want one with the mastering they were listening to, and one with no master fader, one with just the compressor? Yeah, what, they what do, do you that. Want? They'll do that anyway. Um, <laughs> but um, no, no. Tell people who haven't worked with you yet. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to hear this, and then they're going to decide to work with you for the first time. What would you like them to send you if this is a new client? Well, I think it makes sense to have instrumentals and acapellas. Agreed. I don't want to start there. Sure. At all, I want to start with your your best mix, mm -hmm. um, and and without anything on the stereo bus that's being used for what you think is correctional or to make it loud, or to add that extra glue, mm -hmm. you know. Because most of the time, it's not really adding glue; mm -hmm. it's just squashing shit. No, 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 it's not glue. Um, and it's set wrong. It's just what they yeah, they, yeah. they saw on a tutorial. Yeah, and, and you know, and and you know, over the course of the years, you know, engineers will say, "Oh no, I can't, I can't pull it off because if I pull my compressor off, it's going to completely change, you know, what's going on in the mix." It's the biggest bullshit there is. Well, I mean, it does change it, but yeah, but no. it, it gives us the opportunity, hopefully, to make it better. You know, it, if it, I can hear what they had, and yeah, I, if they give me what they had with it right. and without it. I can usually get it yeah. more what they were looking for. Yeah, yeah so I mean, you, yeah, instrumental, acapella, absolutely. Um, main mix, yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, the thing that we're also missing, we, you know, we talk about getting the rough mixes, but um, yeah, some other alternate mixes. You know, I mean, hmm. I get that a lot still, where, you know, people aren't sure, you know, how much reverb on the vocal or whatever. They'll be like, you know, you pick it, you know. And it's like, okay, that's cool, you know. But, uh, but let me know, you know, what I'm listening for. Because they'll be like, I don't know, we did three different mixes. Pick the one you like. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's the worst. No, you know, I mean, I mean, I'll be glad to, but chances, but again, I'm kind of, I come from the standpoint of like, listen, I'm gonna listen through the song the first time, and I'm gonna be inspired. So the second time, I'm not gonna listen to it again the same way. Yeah. So tell me what I'm listening for. You know, I mean, because I'm, 
professional, I'm 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 going to try and help you. If you're telling me it's different bass levels, that's okay. Good. Yeah. Let me hear that. I'm going to. Oh yeah. Know. Let me know because if I'm sitting here thinking, wow, the bass kind of sucks, and you can drum me that, <laughs> I got that right here. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. No. That, so so alternate mixes are great, but again, give me the one that you think is the choice. Mm. You know, and then if I feel like, wow, yeah, the bass is kind of loud on that. Well, Let I can remember a discussion we had, you know, probably in 99, 2000, about how you were not getting happy that people stopped starring the mix that they wanted to use. That, oh, like, we were getting yeah. dats, and they'd, yeah. there'd be a 12-song record, we'd get 36 mixes, oh, and yeah. it would just be, here's three mixes, and they right. would be labeled maybe main mix, vocal up, vocal down, or something, but they weren't saying which one they wanted us to use, or whatever, or, you know, what the snare down one, wh well, why I, that was I, done. I, I do get, like, you know, the vocal up, or the, you know, and people say, you know, listen, you, Matt, you, you figure out the vocal level for us, you know, mm -hmm. in a sense, I mean, and I mean, when I say figure it out, it's not like I'm mixing it from scratch, I'm determining a half a dB up or down, or something yeah. like that, you know, um, that, that's fine, I mean, but I also think it's music, not poetry. You know, the vocal is supposed to be in the music. Mm -hmm. And again, we the only way to allow that to happen is to not over-process the mix. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you talk to any TV or film mixing guy and they, they get it. You give them, if you give one of those guys a, a heavily compressed or limited mix, they can't put the dialogue within the music scene. You've got to allow dynamics to get that vocal to be in there. Mm -hmm. That's often why, you know, people say, well, you should get your instrumentals mastered, right? Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, but are they the same? No, we don't limit them. We, you know, we leave them with plenty of dynamic range. Yeah. People are surprised to hear that, but that's what the guys that are doing the post want. Yeah, you know? uh, if you're, you're getting music licensed, do not put a brick wall yeah. limiter no, no, on no, your no, instrumentals. No. Yeah. I know, I, all the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think that that's a good place to leave that. Um, so what we do with these compilation episodes... I'm going to ask you two questions that, like, you'll basically be on an episode where we have, like, all sorts of other bright minds, like, might get her answer things. So. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. If you, could, if you could give yourself in the music business some advice when you were first starting off what, that you could have known from day one, what would you have done? Wow. Or what would you have wanted to know? <laughs> well, I can, I can, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how to just jump into this, but, um, I don't know that this is so true anymore, so you might not want to use this, but. Okay, just, um, feel free. I could, you could start over if it's. Yeah, no, um, I was working with a band and one of the guys in the band worked at, um, a pretty large indie label. And I remember talking to the guy saying, Hey, listen, you know, you, you know, you can get me work if you want, you know, feel free to, you know send some bands my way mm -hmm. and um i said you know because i can do it more affordably than those other guys that are doing it mm -hmm. and he turned to me and he and he and it was a pretty big indie label and he said alan he said record labels aren't in the business of saving money they're in the business of making money and they'll spend any amount of money they need to to make money so how does that pertain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that works anymore. Yeah, it doesn't work, yeah. yeah. I know. Is it, you know, this is very fine. The, the first podcast we have for the Noise Careers podcast, it's off. You do work for Pure Noise occasionally, right? Yeah, yeah, Jake. Uh, uh, so it's, yeah. Jake quote is like, he's, he says, like, uh, the 
best money I've ever spent is making is production on good records because that's what the best advertising. Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm doing is like just like I did the van robberies. I'm doing an hour and a half special on how record budgets are disappearing, despite the fact that everybody knows this. Right, right, right. And how fucking stupid that is. Yeah. Um, my the advice to let me say, wow, that's a good question. Yeah. So, did you ever listen? You you, well, you would really do you listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast? I've tried a couple times. He's really good. He's yeah, really he's, good. like when he gets a good guest. Yeah. Good, but he, this is like a question he asks: is like, what would you tell your thirty-year-old self? What would you tell your twenty-year-old self? Well, I guess, I, 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 well, I can, you know what? I remember the advice I told you. Okay. Learn how to play piano. Oh, that's great, yeah. Right? That's, to tell people why. That, that, that was well, really great advice. Great, Really great advice I barely heeded. Most people don't because they get thrown into it. Um, but I think that still to this day, uh, so much of music production stems from a keyboard. Uh, and the ability to play a keyboard. And then you're working with musicians that sometimes cannot play a keyboard. And so you become desirable in that production if you can actually play it. Not to mention harmonically what it teaches you, you know, and all of that kind of stuff, the theory behind it. But uh, I tell every assistant that I ever have or, or any, any class or seminar that I teach, I, I tell them, learn piano, take piano lessons. You know, and you're right, and I was wrong to not do it more. Yeah, you know <laughs> what? Well, and when the first studio I worked in, you know, when I was 18, um, had a seven foot Yamaha piano, and I didn't, you know, we didn't have, a, I didn't have a piano at home. You know, I only had, a, you know, acoustic guitar or whatever. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? If I just sat down at that piano, and I was living in the attic at mm-hmm. the studio, if I sat down at that piano for 15 minutes every night before I went to sleep and just did hand and exercise, anything, you know. But you just don't. You just don't. You know, you, you'll you'll tweak that snare drum EQ. You'll do whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll wind cape. You'll do so many things. But, but the, that's the most effective. That the most effective one is learn how to play piano. That's the best advice. That's true. Yeah, you know. Uh, what's the best lesson another musician taught you? See, I have to think hard because yeah, uh, you're, you're you're full of these, but it's also the which ones your random access men, memory. Uh... Well, the first one that comes to mind. The first thing is um, you know Russ Teitelman saying always trust your feelings because yes. if you want to become successful, you'll need to repeat it. And if mm. you were guessing or copying, you won't know what to do when you become successful, and then you'll fail. So if but so uh, so trusting your feelings is the best yeah. advice um you know and and to to just continue and learn along that road because you know if if you know if you're not psychotic you're going to learn that oh yeah i guess that is too much low end on the snare even though i like it that way you know so you have to learn along with that so so that's great that was that was probably early on some great advice i got and i really heeded that um I mean that could also be it. That's a great one. It's going to be on a separate episode. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, there's there's so many others that I I just don't think are pertinent. Like, yeah, you know, um, you know, being in the room 
when the when the when the band runs down the first take. You know, um, that was great advice that was given to me. But I don't know that that's yeah. This is this is more for off the record, yeah. Which is more of like kids in the music business or kids in bands that like want to do something with their lives. Yeah, I think that that's probably the the good one that Russ Tuttleman one. Yeah, I think it's sadly the when you talk about the like, just do what you want, like, and you have to like. I always say I say it in the book. uh, Make the music you want to hear because that's the only music anybody wants to hear from you. Yeah, if you make the music you think people want to hear from you, no one ever wants to hear it. And uh, I, I always say that one. And it's just like, it's one of those bits of advice that it's like, it's so hard to hear when you're young because you just want the answer. Don, when we met with Don Greerson, Don Greerson recently, he, he said, um, you're never the judge of whether or not what you do is successful. It's the public. What? Well, he was talking to Amelia. Yeah, I get that, but I don't think that's that's true. So this is also a big part of my book, is I take a lot of famous creativity quotes and I prove them wrong. All right, maybe not prove, but I argue against well, them. So I like yeah. what he was. You know, he was. He was. It's he, successful if you make the music you want to hear. If you're trying to just make the well, song he's you coming from hear. a major label. Yeah. Okay. He was well, vice president of Epic. You know. Yeah. And 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 he was talking to Amelia about whether or not she would co-write with someone. Mm-hmm. And Amelia said no. Hmm. And because I told her that, <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, so, so are you against co-writes? No, 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 no. I meant more just like how important it is to write your own material, to write, to, to be a writer. Yeah, well. no, it's important to be a writer, but I actually think co-writing Absol- teaches you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And and but but you know, but thirteen-year-old response to him was yeah. She yeah. thought the correct answer was no. Ah, you yes. know. Okay, I see. See, so and so, um, so then he went out. He pointed out, you know all these classic examples of like, you know, songs you think the artist wrote that they did that were written by somebody else. You know, again, he, he, it's coming from a very different yeah. place. But what he did say, which I, I mean, if you, th- if you got to think about it a little bit, and I'm not asking you to think about it from where he's coming from as if that's going to come back in the world, but, but more just like if you're making music and you want to put it into the world, remember that the public's opinion or your fan's opinion is really kind of just as important as yours. I see. I, I, I have a different theory. I think every band I've ever had in here who's made music that like doesn't get a single download on iTunes that their girlfriend won't even listen to out of courtesy. Right. Are all the bands that have made music that they think somebody else wants to hear or they're trying to be popular, they're trying to do just what they think will get them paid, laid, and made, and... The bands, like, here's a great example, whether it's Limp Bizkit or The Cure, they're just making what they want to hear. They're just making a song that they think should exist in the world for themselves, and they're judging it by what I want to feel. I want to feel more of this. I want more of this. And every great band I've ever been around, and even the ones that just do okay, they're right. doing that. Yeah. And the ones, like, I've never been around a, po- a band that got popular trying to do what they what other people would deem successful. It's just a coincidence that the public also likes it. And well, not even just a coincidence. You also have high enough standards, high enough skill, you know, or the right or are making the right music at the right time. I mean you could make with all the heart and standards that you want, you make uh, yodeling music, it's not going to the top forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, you know, barring those outside circumstances, it's 
some of like the book is this is like standards uh, execution. Like I use like uh, Haley from Paramore is like a great example of like. Have you seen that video of her singing the single? No. I'm gonna send this to you. You gotta watch this. Okay. It's fucking unbelievable. Okay. So she basically just she puts the GoPro up while she sings the vocal, and yeah, it's one take. It's not the take they use. But you watch the amount of effortless inflection this girl can do and control with her voice. And it's just that thing. It's like, this is why proficiency matters in music. Is She doesn't have to think about hitting the note. This girl is just thinking about how can I go, uh, 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 and like make t- tons of little character things to embellish the sound of her song. And yeah. that's, oh, I that's have that. like proficiency. And that's like what goes into this. Yeah. And like getting to that level where like, no, you're not thinking about the composition. You know the song. You know yeah. the lyrics. You know all that stuff, and now you're thinking about expression. Well, I think it was, um, they asked Charlie Parker, after he came off stage, uh, you know, in the late 50s or whatever, um, somebody said to him that your improvisations are just unbelievable. And he said, our improvisations are very well rehearsed. Yeah. Uh, So this is my book. Yeah, yeah. So I'm... I want to say that's Coltrane. Are you sure it's Charlie Parker? Might be Coltrane. Might have been, uh, but yeah, I've heard this. Yeah. I, 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 so I have a whole thing. Like yeah. one of the, a lot of the book is like this. Like I don't want to say myth busting, but it's like I take a thing and I'm like, there's more to it than this. Like so, like I, the quote I hate the most is like that Woody Allen quote of eighty uh, percent success is showing up. No, it's fucking not. Yeah. It's getting good inspiration. It's just these people do it. It's like yeah. the same thing. There's another r- writer who says like the thing of like inspirations for amateurs. Pros show up and do the work. It's like you wrote news for a living, dude. The inspiration comes to you because news never stops happening. <laughs> when you're a fucking <laughs> yeah. songwriter, you have to fucking get inspired. Yeah. Something has to happen. I don't know what happened over there for you. Oh, it's um, Tell, well, telling me I have John in 24 hours. Oh, you know, I, you know, another inspiration for me now, mm-hmm. in the last two or three years now, is Amelia. Yeah. And it's not just a personal inspiration, as much as I'm finding it inspirational in how I approach musicians as well. Um, there's a great quote, you know, Amelia was uh, doing Annie up at um, Rhinebeck yeah, yeah, yeah. Theater. And, um, you know, uh, Tech Week starting and... So they they ask everybody, hey, come on, you got to help us build the sets and whatever, and and so you know, um, Amelia was you know wielding a screw you know a screw gun and she's screwing a set together and whatever, and she was really there till the end of the end of the night. She was the last actress to leave, and the 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 head carpenter, he said, "You're Annie in the play," you know, and she was just like, "Yeah." He's like, I could tell because you were inspired to stay and do this. And then he said, every actor needs to learn a little tech and every tech needs to learn a little acting. And I got to say, so my performing with Amelia mm-hmm. live yeah. in the studio mm-hmm. is giving me more inspiration and sympathy mm-hmm. for the artists, other artists that I work with. I feel their pain uh, well, more look, now. Whenever I'm writing a book and I go through those hellish moments where I can't get right. a sentence, right. I then know that there's a million days where I'm sitting there like, suck it up, pussy, let's go. Yeah. That, no, this is they're going through a horrible moment right yeah. then that they can't figure this out and this fucking sucks and they're so frustrated. And I, I, 
those two years between books. <laughs> I totally forgot about that until this summer. I'm sitting there losing a losing few inches, a few yeah. few inches off the hairline, fucking yeah. be, being mad that I can't get this thought out of my head into a coherent sentence. Well, I'm trying to not. I mean, listen, I'm. I want Amelia to be happy in life. Mm-hmm. I want her to have an amazing life that she already is having. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also kind of in a weird way trying to figure this business out mm-hmm. with that, you know, and it's kind of funny because, you know, you know, she doesn't want to be Taylor Swift. Sure. You know, I mean, even that, you know, right now, I think probably if, you know, she She's loves pr- probably too smart and well-balanced to do that. Well, you know, she, you know, it's like I said, she's straight edge now, you yeah. know, and, um, I think, you know, and she's just, and not if, for lots of reasons. And it's, you know, the way big business is treating, you know, so much of what we do. Mm. Um, but um, it's really weird how, how that's a big inspiration for me now, mm. you know, in everything, you know, in, tra- in you know, it's kind of like I'm working with bands again. Why? Well, because I need to develop my connections and skill sets so that if she needs them again, they're there, mm-hmm. you know? That's interesting. It's, it's really weird. I mean, I'm, you know... I just, you know, and you know me, I'm not like, I'm not handing anything to her. No, you know, I know. She has I mean, to, she has to work for it, you know. I, I know, you know, it, it, being around you and Rose, it really did, um, you were the people who made that click for me of getting the like, you know, my parents obviously did everything they could for me and every yeah. bit of sport, but you know. I started to realize the thing of like being around you guys and seeing it in an adult form. Like, all right, it's good to work hard for some of these things. I'd like, yeah, these, you know, because I especially like around that age, like twenty one. It's like seeing all these people getting these boosts in life from just. I you know, I remember remember Andreas from Virginia, and when he just built that studio off the millions of dollars he had. And I just would be so. Where did angry. he get his money from? His like rich Swedish parents. Uh. Yeah. yeah, it just came from, like, some crazy... Because it was Race the Sun kids lived in the same town as him. None of them. Oh, I, I cut the record at your okay. studio. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, right, right now I remember. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. w- w- escape engine right yeah. into them type yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh... What do you call it? Uh, you know, I'd just be infuriated. Like, I want that compressor. I can't I can't make a record without that 1176 that he has. Yeah, and then now yeah, it's just it like... Oh, like, I, I always say, it's like, you know... It's like, you know, it's like a common one is like a lot of people go to barbershop before they come here and then they walk in and they're pretty fucking underwhelmed. Yeah. And I go, cool. Let's I want to you work. to get, I want you at the end of this record, you can go back to barbershop anytime you can come back here. I want you to listen to your record and yeah. decide which one you like better. And I think I know which one you're going to choose. Yeah. I've, Be- I've never lost a client to him. Because it's not the gear. Yeah. It's no, not, no, no. I mean, you know, although... The gear in the right hands sure. does truly make fantastic art, or mm. can, but it's not the gear alone. You know, yeah. um, you know, uh, I have so many examples of that. You know, of just like you know, of just you know, people stepping up to an SM57 and just singing. You know, you, you know, you say you know, um, with with Haley from Paramore. You know, just like. You know, yeah, I'm sure she could sing, you know, into a any mic, yeah. and it sounds awesome. Yeah, you know, no, totally. Um, you know, there's this really good. Did you listen to the Rick Rubin 
episode of yes. first? Yes. I that, that love that be. Natalie Maines quote about oh. what she said about him. So she said that what he does, that his whole production technique is getting you to start finding what's interesting and compelling in your life at that moment and stop think, thinking about what other people are going to think of it. Right, right. I fuck it. Like yeah. that, and so like that, to me, has been like the mo- biggest thing I've changed in like my approach to record production now is right. just like, you know, when I see some shit boring lyrics, I'm like, do you really want to write about, hey, go, good looking, what's cooking? Right. Or like, what's, right. what's something interesting you've been thinking right. about? Could you rewrite yeah. this maybe? Yeah, you know, those opportunities that so many people had in the big music era, um, those lessons have to trickle down somehow. And I don't think a book or an internet does it. That's why. Have, I, you, have, you, have you been on Qura yet? No. Qura is really fun. Really? So uh, the idea is that you can ask, you know, the Rick Rubens of the world questions and right. they answer them. Right. Um, kind of like an ongoing, forever going Reddit AMA of experts. But like, so there's like this great thread of uh, Elon Musk and his wife giving advice. It's no. fucking fantastic. Because wow. she gives that the perspective on how awful it is to deal with <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at jessecannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.